I don't think the loan forgiveness will have any effect on inflation or spending at all. Here's why. From a political position, too, Donald Trump suspended student loan payments during the pandemic. Yep. They are still suspended, so people are not making payments on the loan and have not been making payments on the loan for two and a half years. So it's in essence as if those loans were forgiven $10,000 two and a half years ago. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Thank you for stirring us some more. Thank you very much. Was that better? Yes. All right. Okay. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach, not uh, an adaption of Henry V's uh, scene at the Battle of Harfleur. Uh, we will be talking about finance uh, rather than dead English people in walls. Well, I'm going to talk about English people in what the dead English people well, and how they how the and live English people. yes so Brexit will come into the conversation at some point today so it may sound a bit like Harfleur's threat. Well, uh, then we could simply say I'll spill the aisle up with English dead, right? Which they do naturally over their life, right? Over yes. a period of time, they bury them. Or, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this right. is the personal wealth coach speaking to you right now is Jake McClure, or let's say this correctly with Jake and Jeff. McClure. Uh, between us, we are bald. And bearded. And bearded. Yes, that too. And uh, have genetic uh, similarities. We are going to be talking to you today about the world of finance, personal finance and macro finance. Macro finance being big finance rather than macro photography, which is small photography, but made big. Oh, boy. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, so be, before we get started, we must give you more disclosures other than the one about us being bald and bearded. Uh, we should, you should have probably picked up by now that we are word nerds or maybe just nerds. So that's another disclosure. The next is that, uh, the personal wealth coach, the name of this program is not coincidentally also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm registered to give fiduciary advice and management. This is not fiduciary advice and management on the radio, though. The two people on the radio are the same two people that work over at that other firm giving advice, but we can't give advice on the air. So hopefully what you're hearing today is educational. It may simply be boring. Uh, but well, I, Let me make an exception. I can give advice on the air. So you're going to be exceptionalistic? Go ahead. No, I'm going to say that the air is warm and you don't need a coat when you go outside, so I wouldn't wear one. That's advice on the uh, air. Uh, no, you just said what you would do, so that's educational. Oh, I, okay. I do not okay. recommend that you wear a coat in the heat of August in Texas. That's on the air. advice. That's advice on the, on the air. Yeah. Right. The air is hot. Yeah. Um, or, yes, the air is and hot. we're contributing to the hot air. We, we spew hot air at a rate that is faster than most carbon-emitting plants. Yes. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> All right. Okay, so, that out of the way. Um, educational, uh, you want to add something to that about deeming? Well, the information we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. 
And just because the firm's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC has any kind of approval mechanism in its bureaucratic body. It does not believe that we are better than someone else because we are registered. The SEC is famous for not um, approving much of anything. So please don't take an inference that we're registered with them that somehow they think we're cool or uncool. Uh, or anything else except that we're registered with them. Uh, and last but not least, uh, one method of our communication reaching the ears of you, our wonderful listener, is through uh, Studio KTEM 1400. Uh, we do not pay to have this program, nor are we paid to do the program. We've been doing this program I've been on the program with you since 1998, unpaid. You you actually had a year and a half or so of doing the program by yourself before that. So we've been doing this a long time. The firm that we mentioned a moment ago does buy advertisement on the studios, uh, on the station. But the advertisement is for the radio program, which is a little weird. And the studio also advertises the, the program. We do play pay market rates for our advertising there uh, no discounts or anything like that which is you know they might want to give us a discount at some point but we wouldn't accept it because that would be us paying for the radio program strange or not or being paid for the radio i don't know how to even look at it there may be a quid pro quo in there if you speak latin but there isn't one here senator there is no quid pro quo <clears throat> i do not recall that senator Right. Yes. Um, you know, we date ourselves pretty severely by saying that. Um, yes. Because yeah. that is from Watergate. Yeah. Yep. And people, and I said that to somebody who is considerably younger than I am the other day, who I consider to be a very well mature male person. He said, I wasn't born during Watergate. I wasn't either. I wasn't alive during Watergate. I yeah. said, oh, well, that yeah. kind of explains why you didn't understand what I just said. Yeah. Matter of fact, I was in a meeting of the of the Planning and Zoning Commission of the village of Salado, and and there was a mature man who is an alderman in the which means older man in the village, who is part of our part of this task force I'm on. And uh I said, Well, I've been here since 1972. And he said, I haven't been since 1972, even. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought you made me feel yourself. really old. Made me feel really old. The good thing about dating yourself is you never have to question who's going to pick up the check. That's right. You get to pay for it every time. Yeah, I want to answer a question from Roger real quickly. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's a very nice question. You want me to prep it for you so you can answer it? You can. You can say, uh, it. Roger. Thank you for the question, John. We're going to get to you in just a minute. This is one that has to do with the disclosures. So. Uh, Roger says, on a lighter note, Jeff, did you craft the deem disclosure or was it by a lawyer? I, Roger, I crafted that. I crafted it tongue in cheek. I have read so much lawyerese. I read prospectuses. <laughs> <laughs> I have read so much lawyerese over the years that every once in a while I enjoy speaking in lawyerese just to hear those archaic words roll off the tip of my tongue. Uh, actually that particular phrase says what we wanted to say about 
the facts that we or the, the information that we present in a very concise way. It would take a paragraph to explain what that one sentence says, which is why lawyers use Latin. It's kind of like this, Roger, here's, here's the big thing. With a lawyer or with a doctor, if you have an appointment with them and they suddenly lapse into Latin, you're in trouble. Yep. Yep. I would agree with that. <laughs> we need to do our disclosures in Latin. That would be fantastic. Ooh, it would cover cool. all the spectrum. It would be detailed in, in a very short way. It'd be amazing. Nobody would understand it, but who's to say anybody understand, understands disclosures anyway? Well, the lawyers would understand it. Well, I think the lawyers like to write it in a way that the lawyers can even misunderstand. That's the yeah. whole point, I think. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, we've got another question from Inquisitor John. John, I can't thank you enough. I will continue to thank you. You send in fantastic questions. Uh, they are um, fattening even. They are so delicious. So thank you. Uh, his question is, as usual, accompanied by a digital picture from his phone of the paper version of the Wall Street Journal that we may verify that the digital version is the same or slightly different than the analog conversion to digital. All right. His question has to do with an article um, that says some Democrats cools to student debt plan in the Wall Street Journal. That's the headline. Uh, it's an article by Natalie Andrews, and he's got a section circled or boxed. Uh, a CNBC poll released earlier this week showed 59% of Americans were worried that forgiving student loan debt could make inflation worse. His question is, how would loan forgiveness fuel inflation? This is a good question. Um, anyone who's listened over the last year or so has heard us talking about inflation being made up of many variables, thousands of variables, maybe more, because there's a lot of people out there, maybe as many variables as people can make inflation. So I'm going to answer this with the premise that maybe it can cause inflation. But then I'll give you the flip side because economists can never give you a straight answer. So uh, what could cause inflation over a student loan forgiveness? Let's make an imaginary person. If you imagine this imaginary person, they have a student loan that's about to be forgiven. This loan is to be paid back over a 10-year period. This loan is roughly $300 a month. And uh, a big chunk of that's forgiven. So instead of $300 a month, they're now paying $50 a month. $50 a month? What are they doing with $250 extra dollars that they were spending on student loans? Well, they might be going out and buying things that you want to buy and causing the prices to go up. So yes, it could have an inflationary impact. There's an extra stream of income available to be spent that was being spent elsewhere. Well, now here's the other side. Where was the money going that was being paid to this student loan? Well, the ones that are being forgiven are all federally backed student loans. Well, what does that mean? It means it's a loan from the federal government and the government was spending that extra $250 on something. Now, they are likely to continue spending that $250 through borrowing, except that our spending is down this year. We're still borrowing to do it, where you can see the variables are starting to multiply. 
is it possible that the human with the extra $250 is going to spend that money more wisely than the government? It is possible, maybe even probable. So it could be that it goes the opposite direction. (laughs) So this is one of those things when people have excess money, it really depends on if they're spending it or holding on to it as to whether or not it's adding to inflation. Holding on to it or investing it, putting it away for longer term, is non-inflationary. It's actually it stimulates growth in the economy. Spending it immediately also stimulates growth in the economy, but also rises prices on the thing that as demand goes up. Okay, you have what, something to what add. Was, what was the dollar income cap on that forgiveness? The highest dollar income uh, I'd have to look. It's for a married couple it's 250,000. I think okay. it's 139,000. I'd have to look at it again for single people. I as far as it being inflationary, that's a political issue. It has nothing to do with reality. In fact, the amount of money involved here while it looks big is such a tiny drop in the bucket in our economy that it is really insignificant. And what it boils down to is some college-educated people who were, who were probably struggling. The people that's going to affect the most are the people who have a college education that's not worth the paper it's written on, that are struggling flipping burgers at McDonald's or something like that, who are going to be able to be able to just barely pay their electric bill or their uh, credit card payments. And is it going to have an effect on them? Yes. Are they going to go out and spend a bunch more money? No, because they don't have a bunch more money to spend. Now, if you're making $200,000 and you get a forgiveness that makes you not have to pay a $250 bill, I really don't think that's going to make a big difference in your spending. Yeah. You might go out to eat one time extra in celebration, or you might not. So, So what we're looking at here, Let's take a step back from that question about whether or not it will fuel inflation and get to kind of the cusp of the argument. Not left-wing, not right-wing economics. What is the cusp here? This is a loan forgiveness. Uh, Okay, who's the loan from? From the federal government. Sort of like paycheck protection was from the federal government. There's a difference in context. The paycheck protection program was during a possible... Well, impossible. It was during a catastrophic financial event to the economy. It was, in essence, insurance to pay back where insurance isn't going to cover a pandemic. So the United States government stepped in as an insurance provider for businesses. Some people committed insurance fraud. You see that pop up again and again. They don't call it insurance fraud with the PPP. They call it Loan fraud, where people paid off their house instead of paying their employees, things like that. Bought a Lamborghini, uh, didn't actually have any employees. This is insurance fraud in a different context. Okay, so in order to talk about these, because whataboutism falls on both sides of the political spectrum. It doesn't apply at all to economics. So what about the paycheck protection? You took that loan and you're upset about somebody else being forgiven when you got this much. That's whataboutism. It's different stuff. Don't, let's, let's not do that. You can do it on both sides of the spectrum, and it doesn't have anything to do with the math. So let's get down to the math. In some ways, this investment by the government could be looked at with the same growth potential as infrastructure. Now, I'm saying in some ways here because there's a lot more at stake, a lot of different interests involved. 
Uh, but you know, if if we build a highway, some of that money is going to be lost to all the middle companies between the actual contractor and the government. So they they've got special ways of doing their bids with the right number of minorities and all. This. So there's some in other countries that might be called graft. It's more bureaucratic friction here. In order to get bids done correctly, you have to lose some money to the way the bid is done. Okay, so it's kind of the cost of doing business. Other places, they just bribe people. Here, nobody's directly bribed. We just have lots of people in between the buyer and the seller. Infrastructure still adds to our capacity to do business. So does education. So forgiving a loan for education might inspire people to go to college. And I've heard people online and on video saying things like, this is just going to cause people to not care if they take a little bit more student loans. And I think you haven't taken a student loan lately if you've said that. Because just because it's forgiven once doesn't make people think, oh, the government's just going to forgive all my debt. Nope, they are still paying that stuff. They still don't like it. So the fact that the federal government is subsidizing education universally with low interest loans is one of those things we've talked about in the past where the government is stimulating new technology. It can have a positive impact if you're saying, hey, we're going to give you money for research. There's going to be graft. There's going to be misspending and malpractice involved there, but it can stimulate research versus giving a subsidy for buying something which causes that technology to kind of slow down. It's good for short periods, like say, hey, everybody should buy a solar panel this year. You'll get X amount off of the price because we'll just give it to you. That will stimulate a bunch of solar growth. But if you just leave that thing in place for 10 years, it causes the solar companies to not progress in their research because they don't have to because they got free money coming in. Or in the case of education, it causes prices to go up. I don't think the loan forgiveness will have any effect on inflation or spending at all. Here's why. From a political position, too, Donald Trump suspended student loan payments during the pandemic. They are still suspended, so people are not making payments on the loan and have not been making payments on the loan for two and a half years. So it's in essence as if those loans were forgiven $10,000 two and a half years ago. Right. And the the issue is the fact that they're not going to have to resume the payments won't change their spending habits because over the last two and a half years, they've not been making yeah. the payments. And that's really the core of the inflation question. If it would have caused inflation, it's already done it because those payments haven't been made. So that stream of income, that theoretical imaginary person's $250 that he's about to not have to pay, he's already not been paying that for two and a half years. So what does that mean? Well, we've already experienced whatever inflation from that that we would experience. We're not adding to that now. In fact, we're lessening that now because we're not forgiving all student debt, only 10,000 of it, and the payment for student debt is going to start back up for everyone in October. Which means- disinflationary- situation, not an inflationary situation. And it doesn't even have to do with the executive order that is disinflationary. It was set to start paying back. So this is is the deal is that this is purely political 
as far as the inflation aspect of it is concerned, because any inflation's already occurred from this, and it didn't occur from Joe Biden, it occurred from Donald Trump, if it added inflation at all. So if you want to blame a political party, you, there's enough to go around. The reality is that we're talking about forgiving debt, and the end result of that is the net worth of the United States government just lowered. There's a large amount of student loan debt measured in trillions of dollars that is one end of a balanced scale against the debt that the U.S. government owes mostly the United States citizens. So there's enough student debt that is owed to the U.S. government to outweigh foreign government-owned debt of the U.S. government. So like if you think what would happen if China just dumped all of its U.S. debt on the market. Well, we've got more student debt owed to the government than China owes that than we owe China. So forgiving that isn't even really lowering that amount tremendously. We're talking about a couple of hundred billion dollars coming down. That's a lot of money to you and I, but for the federal government, when they're talking measuring this debt in trillions, it's a small percentage. This this isn't to say that the government should go around just forgiving all debt. But we definitely need to look at where the debt is and why it's there. Because a lot of the rising cost of college comes from this direct subsidy in debt in that if you need a student loan and you're going to college, you can get that student loan. You don't have an income. Well, you're going to college. So here, have some money. And no regard to what you're getting it for. It's because it's from the government. If it were a private corporation... They would say, well, we want to see that you're studying something that you could, that you're actually going to have an income to pay this back for them. And not none of this uh, English literature study stuff that you've got going on here. They're never going to get a job doing that. Uh, well, the federal government says, I don't know what you're going to use it for, but here, have some money and you can pay me back. That sounds great, except that a private company's debt can be absolved in bankruptcy, where the federal government debt, that's really hard to get rid of. It's like going debt to the IRS if the federal government says you owe me money on this student loan and you say, well, I'm bankrupt, and they say, I don't care. So there are different types of, way, of approaches to this. The fact that we've had a high college price inflation over this entire, the entirety of my life, since, since when you went to college, we've had pretty much an upward trajectory on prices for college way above normal inflation. It's, it's measured in the 6% range at a time when inflation was measured in the 2 to 3% range. So prices have gone up there in a similar way to medical care, which basically if you're in an emergency situation, medical care has to be given to you whether you can pay for it or not, and that causes the price to be put on other people. And then you have Medicare involved here, which is a massive government subsidy without the ability to negotiate on prices. So when you put those things together, those, these two industries look similar. If you tweak Medicare a little bit or you tweak the student loan thing a little bit, it's just a tweak on a behemoth. If there is inflation caused by government spending in college, it doesn't have much to do with $10,000 forgiven. There's a much, much larger issue that needs to be discussed, and that's not something that people are really comfortable discussing at this point. Because if they stopped giving these loans, a lot of people wouldn't be able to go to college. So 
Is, it, is there a net benefit to these loans? Yes, a lot of people went to college they couldn't. Is there a problem with it? Yes, a lot of people got way too much student loans. The net benefit is there. There is a massive net benefit to having an educated population. Uh, how we're paying for it is just as much of a thorny, sticky wicket as uh, how we're paying for public education throughout the country at any, at any level. So if you want to get into the politics of that, we're trying to stay out of the politics and just look at, whoa, you guys are arguing about that little tiny percentage there at the end of this really big number. <laughs> and you can scream and yell about it all you want, but you're really wasting energy. There's a bigger problem that needs to be discussed. And as long as you're screaming and spittle is flying, we're not going to come up with a solution. That's just destructive. We got to figure out a way of coming together on this. And I know that makes me sound like a Generation Xer. Let's compromise, everyone, please. Let's just get along. I am a Generation Xer. You're the boomer. You should come out and say, let's just get rid of all student debt or no, charge everyone everything. Can you polarize us for a minute, please, just to be generationally no, no, accurate? No. No? You sure? Okay. All right. Uh, we're, we don't usually represent our generations very well so because we're bald. Yes. Well. We got through that question more. with that very short question. How would loan forgiveness fuel inflation? With a, 35 minute commentary but hey <laughs> we're economists we're allowed to talk and we're about out of time for this yes. this hour we we've, we've got more good stuff next hour and even continuations of what we're talking about here uh, good good stuff but if you would like to talk to us off the air you can this we actually give personalized customized uh, advice to people of high net worth to foundations and trust fiduciary investment right Exactly. Um, foundations, trusts, corporations, partnerships as well. Man, there's a lot to do. Uh, we also do and management of portfolio. portfolios. Um, if you'd like to contact us off the air, you contact may us? Uh, contact us. Yes. If you yeah, would like contact to contact us, us off the air, um, the local number is 254-947-1111. Or toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com if you're lazy like me. And you can read our newsletters going back lots of years. You can listen to our radio program going back a long ways. You can go anywhere where podcasts are issued and hear them. Uh, you can also... Uh, Contact us directly at the contact form or through email at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. And if sometime you want to hear the radio program and you missed it, it's typically posted on our web page by Monday afternoon. Until next hour, thank you very much for listening to The Personal Wealth Coach.